You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric DeSoap here. We're back, excited to return after a short break, and excited to feature NLC alums talking about education, specifically how are we going to reopen schools, a hot topic on lots of people's minds. We'll have guests in the next couple of weeks discussing that topic from all angles. We'll have folks who work inside schools, outside schools, on policy, uh, you name it, we'll have it. And today we have a 2020 NLC DC fellow, Nika Manzor is here. We'll catch up with her. She's got some interesting approaches to considering how we will get schools back open for our kiddos. So let's get to it. All right, Nika, why is this challenge of getting kids back into school so hard? Yeah, so um, <laughs> if I'm going to be frank, I mean, this is for an NLC alum. So um, <laughs> it, the, ch- the challenge comes from the top leadership, right? Like Donald Trump, you know, um, if we had any uh, a semblance of, of a leader who understands the magnitude of this issue, I don't I really don't think this would be a quote unquote puzzle. Right. It, the, the answer is obvious. Like we cannot send our kids back to school um, in the fall. Um, and we may have if we took proper social distancing measures, mm-hmm. if we understood the importance of our health and safety over the economy. Um, and so the, the sad reality is that um, we very well could have followed the model of New Zealand and, and other countries um, and be prepared to go back to school, but we haven't and we're not. So, Yeah, and the fact that we're not leaves in some ways every district on their own because there isn't really a coherence coming nationally like you mentioned and, and even states you know, are, are, are kind of facing just, uh, even if there is something coherent, like here in California, the governor for the most part has, has been someone that we can respect and follow, but county to county, district to district, things are kind of going uh, on their own tracks. So not necessarily much integration. I think one of the uh, pieces that then gets left out is who who's able to contribute to the conversation about how to reopen, who should be involved. I know that's important to you. Tell folks a little bit about Move School Forward and, and how you're trying to make sure student voices are heard in this process. Yeah, so um, so Move School Forward is a, a collective of education organization, education advocacy organizations primarily, and then we also have so, um, supporters who are not necessarily in the education advocacy space, um, nor are they youth-led. So the the requirement to be part of the um, Move School Forward Education Justice Collective group is if you're a student-led or student-driven organization that specifically focuses on education advocacy. Um, And so, I mean, this really um, builds on a long tradition of student organizing for education equity. Um, And, uh, you know, the reality is that students uh, in, you know, normal times spend 40 hours a week in classrooms, and they are considered the last people when it comes to crafting, um, crafting policy as it relates to education. So, Students should be the primary stakeholders, and and you know instead we rely on on politicians, uh, education consultants, etc. Uh, and so it's really all about you know we have a list of ten demands, and the first demand is prioritizing student voice when it comes to reopening schools and um, policies that come after that. So um, that's kind of first and foremost the the objective of the Move School Forward campaign. Um, nothing for students without students. And then have you seen positive examples of this happening or for the most part, because everything is so uncertain and everyone is, is so reactive that, that students are, are getting shut out of this process? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you're hearing kind of, uh, I, I, 
in my experience, it kind of feels like uh, it's a little bit too early to tell. I have been hearing from a lot of students that they have been shut out of these conversations, um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they're, um, they're shut out completely, right? Like uh, students from all across the country are advocating their school boards, are advocating um, their individual school ad administrations for their needs. Um, and I, I do think that, um, that that's that there's a lot of support for for student voice um, from the teacher side um, from certain politicians. Um, I'm working with a group in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is um, where I'm living currently, uh, right outside of DC, and they're actually about to launch an action, um, a letter writing campaign to uh, to pressure our, our schools, uh, our school board to think about um, not just. Um, uh, not reopening schools, but also, you know, what are these other educational equity considerations that must be on the table as we're having these conversations? So um, the to backtrack a little bit, the school district here um, considered reopening schools and doing like a tiered system where teachers would half be in schools and half not. And a, a lot of the teachers and the students kind of united to to protest that and say like this is absolutely unacceptable teachers were threatening to move out of the district um and so the the um superintendent and the school board of course listened they had no choice um and so now students are building off of that mini victory um which it's hard to say how much the students had a say in that but i i do think that they had some sort of say in that and they're trying to build on that to to push for other policies so it's still tbd in terms of um kind of that large scale R elected officials listening, but I think the students are out there advocating and, and I do think it's making a difference. And then has your work been complicated by the fact that this issue actually impacts students and families of all socioeconomic levels, right? So typically a lot of our advocacy work is around making sure um, students who live in communities that are maybe under-resourced for various reasons or historical racist reasons, get the, the access they deserve to great education, get great teachers, get great materials. This is a unique experience in that everyone, everybody's school for the most part is closed and will stay closed for, for some time. Has that made it easier or harder to kind of rally folks to your cause? Because you do have uh, folks of means, you have private school parents, I'm sure you have people who wouldn't necessarily pay any attention to you. Uh, very curious a, about uh, any group that's trying to get schools open. How would you describe who the stakeholders are that are that are possibly working with you for this cause? Right, that's a really good question. Um, I've been focused primarily on the student side um, and not necessarily doing much interfacing with teachers um, and other stakeholders. Although, um, you know, the teachers in my personal, like the people that I surra I'm surrounded by in my personal life are the ones that are all about um, having students uh, really advocate for their needs and being at the forefront of these solutions. So I'm not sure, like I'm not that, sure about the opposition from parents, for example, who like send their kids to private school. Um, what I know is that students um, that are that go to private school that are from various backgrounds are all kind of united in um, in prioritizing the needs of marginalized students. Um, actually, at, at least more so than parents, mm -hmm. um, right? I, I wouldn't say all students are all students that go to private schools think about, you know, poor black and brown kids. But I would say the tendency is there to to really examine if you're of privilege, to examine your privilege, to um, leverage that, to advocate for equitable policies that benefit everyone. 
um, at the student side. So um, we haven't really come up, we, we've just seen a, a crazy amount of energy from students uh, that, um, you know, from public school, prep school, charter schools, um, that, that they want to contribute to this movement and they want to um, enact positive change for students from all sorts of backgrounds. So that's super exciting. Definitely. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more with Anika about her work trying to figure out how to get student voices and all voices involved in opening schools in a fair and just way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Zach. We'll be right back. Anika, how'd you end up doing this kind of work? So um, I got involved with advocacy, not necessarily education advocacy, um, but policy advocacy in general, back when I was 12 years old. Um, <laughs> I often say that I am an accidental ad, uh, activist. I didn't really um, didn't really know much about activism before uh, 2004, um, which is when I was 12, and um, and I got. Um, but what what I was aware of was um, kind of international, some international development issues. So my family's from Bangladesh, and. Um, I was born there, grew up in the States, uh, went to Bangladesh for the first time when I was eight after we immigrated to America and was really taken aback by the sight of abject poverty that I saw everywhere around me um, in the streets, seeing high rise luxury apartments towering over these shanty towns, um, children running around in the streets without any shoes, um, women begging in the streets and kind of going around with um, my very privileged family and friends that would just, you know, very imperiously look at, you know, the poverty and um, and the people that are begging for change and telling them to kind of go away. So, like, those kinds of, that kind of experience I've never had ever in my life, um, going to a house, uh, like a middle-class family's home and then just seeing a maid um, uh, eating on the floor uh, was just absolutely unjust and, and terrible. And so that experience really kind of stuck with me. And um, I think I might have mentioned I was eight when that happened. And so four years later, I had the opportunity to go to this awareness raising session about um, the girls' education crisis in countries like Bangladesh. And I met this woman named Wendy Lesko, who is a, a OG uh, youth advocacy person back in the 90s, back when, you know, the Bush era points of light uh, in student uh, student service was really kind of the what was in vogue then. Um, Wendy was all about, no, we need to go beyond service. We need to think about advocacy. So um, she kind of built on that work. And at that moment in time was really interested in launching a youth led movement um, that was to combat the issue of the girls' education crisis. And I went to this awareness raising session, learned these statistics, such as 100 million girls, are, uh, 100 million girls around the world are denied an education. And um, I often say that if that meeting didn't end with a call to action and a call to action that was like very respectful of me as a 12-year-old, um, as, as a person who may not be an adult, but still had a brain and opinions, um, I probably would not have done anything about those insane statistics, right? I didn't, I wouldn't have thought that I had the power to do anything. So just real quick, I'll wrap it up. Um, so, um, so, so Wendy was basically like, you know, 
let's let's start this movement and and uh, and we started this advocacy campaign um, that was uh, to target this issue. And then um, before I was able to vote, I uh, I was part of a movement that um, secured two hundred million dollars for the foreign aid budget for education. And so I still say that being um, in policy advocacy, um, being involved in policy advocacy as a young person before I could vote was the most impactful thing. And so that's kind of what led me to education advocacy and basically paying my experience forward to as many students as possible. Yeah. Listen, we're glad you're doing the work. Thanks for all your efforts so far trying to get kiddos back into school in a meaningful and productive and, and fair way. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. Make sure to stay tuned. Like I said, for episodes that will be dropping this week and next week and probably the week after, featuring different NLC alums talking about how they are considering the best way to open schools from their vantage point. Get all those podcasts at all the places where you find them. Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, they're all there. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.